With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast on Friday, March 25th, brought to you by epilindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network will allow you to go online, change your location, access things you geo-block from, while also keeping your data safe. Go to libertyshield.com and use the code ROUTER50 to get 50% off at checkout. That's router 50 for a half-price router at libertyshield.com. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off at checkout. Right, folks, it's international time, obviously. There were some games last night. Let's start in South America. Uruguay beat Peru 1-0. The Arrocheta with the goal. Uruguay looking good for qualification. Now, it had been a little bit shaky for them, but they're fourth. They are four points clear of Peru, five clear of Colombia. They have qualified. Never mind. They're not looking good. They have qualified. Brazil... Argentina, Ecuador, and Uruguay are the teams who have gone through. To reiterate, from last night, Uruguay beat Peru 1-0. Colombia beat Bolivia 3-0. Luis Diaz, Borja, and Uribe with the goals. Brazil beat Chile 4-0. Neymar with a penalty. Vinicius Jr., Coutinho with a penalty. And Richarlison with the goals. Paraguay and Ecuador drew 1-1 and Argentina will play uh, Venezuela tonight. The final round of games is on the 29th. Peru will face Paraguay. Venezuela will play Colombia. Bolivia will play Brazil. Chile will play Uruguay. Ecuador will play Argentina. And there's still a Brazil-Argentina game to be rescheduled, but as both have qualified, it's not really worth talking about. So the two games to really keep an eye on on the 29th are Peru against Paraguay. Now, Peru at home should beat Paraguay and Venezuela against Colombia. Venezuela, sorry, Colombia need to beat Venezuela, who are bottom and they should beat them, and hope that Paraguay can take something from Peru. That would allow Colombia to jump Peru and get through to the inter-confederation playoffs. Otherwise, Peru will go through to the playoffs. Chile miss out, Paraguay miss out, Bolivia miss out, and Venezuela miss out. And then one of Colombia and Peru, and you would have to say it looks most likely to be Colombia. Uh, This is very much the end of the great era of the Chilean national team with Alexis Sanchez and... Arturo Vidal, they will not be playing at another major tournament. Um, that, that will be, you'd imagine, the end of them. They certainly won't play at another World Cup. They've aged out, and unfortunately, there hasn't been a crop coming through to replace them. In Europe, we had some games last night as well. Wales beat Austria 2-1, an absolute stunner by Gareth Bale. 
from a free kick give Wales the win. Now, he'd scored the first. The free kick is the deciding goal because Ben Davies puts through his own net on 65. The Welsh didn't play as well as they're capable of playing, but Bale was the difference. And Gareth Bale, when he decides he wants to play, can still be a difference maker. They are due to play the winner of Scotland versus Ukraine, but obviously that game has been put back to June as things stand. It may well be that Ukraine are unable to fulfil that fixture. That final between Wales and the winner of that game, that game also set for June. It wouldn't surprise me if it's just Wales versus Scotland. Unfortunately, Ukraine have to bow out. Very unfortunate for Ukraine. Not not fair at all, but that might just be the only way they can go about this. Um, did see a column, I think, in the Telegraph today, suggesting that Wales and Scotland should actually step aside and allow Ukraine a spot in the World Cup. Uh, unsurprisingly, written by an English journalist, I would guarantee you that article is not written if it's England in this playoff. Um, Wales versus Scotland would be fun. It would be a lot of fun. It'll be at Cardiff, so Wales will have the big-time advantage of getting to play the game at home. So you would expect that Wales will come through against either Scotland or Ukraine, to be fair, with that home advantage. And with national team Bale and Ramsey, who are very different players to club team Bale or Ramsey. So that's bracket A. In bracket B... Obviously, Russia have been thrown out. So Poland have advanced to the final. Sweden beat the Czech Republic 1-0 last night. Quaison with the goal in extra time. And that sets up Poland versus Sweden. That game to be played on the 29th. In Poland, you would expect the Poles to be strong favourites. But Sweden are dangerous. Sweden are dangerous. They're good defensively. And they've got lightning quick attackers. So that could be a good game. Portugal defeated Turkey 3-1. Portugal didn't play particularly well. But got the job done nonetheless. Otavio put them one up. They were very fortunate to maintain that lead. Turkey had some good chances. Diogo Jota made a 2 on 42. Yilmaz pulled Turkey back into it on 65. But... Matthias Nunes on 94 put the game to bed and Portugal advanced to the final where they will face North Macedonia. Italy are out and North Macedonia are through. 1-0 on the night. Trashkovsky in the 92nd minute with a shot from distance. I think Donnarumma should do better with it. A lot of people blaming Jorginho for not committing a tactical foul in the lead-up, but I, I put the blame on the goalkeeper. I don't think he should get beaten from there with that type of shot. But Italy have nobody to blame other than themselves. It's not as if Italy had a really tough group. They had Switzerland, who are fairly average. They had Northern Ireland, who are fairly poor. Bulgaria, who are fairly poor and Lithuania, who are flat-out poor. No disrespect intended, but facts are facts. Italy were unbeaten through the group stage, but drew four games. They drew with the Swiss. They drew with Northern Ireland, both away. They drew with the Swiss at home, and they drew with Bulgaria at home. Like, whatever about drawing with Switzerland, they also went unbeaten. You shouldn't be drawing at home to a poor Bulgarian team or away to a poor Northern Irish team. You just shouldn't. The reigning European Championship holders are out. And there's been a lot of hot takes on this, but two of the best things I've seen. Nima, Nima Ruzari brilliant journalist, covers Inter Milan and Serie A on a whole, part of the Italian football podcast, pointed out that there is a little bit of a Euros curse. So Czechoslovakia won Euro 76. 
failed to qualify for the World Cup in 74 and 78 in what was a golden era for them. Denmark won Euro 92, failed to qualify for the World Cups in 90 and 94. Greece won Euro 2004, failed to qualify for the World Cups in 02 and 06. And Italy won Euro 2020, failed to qualify for the World Cups in 2018 and 2022. And it's a massive shock for Italy to go out. It really is a massive shock for Italy to go out. There's There's been some bad takes about this as well, but there's a lot of rushing to blame different people and the manager and certain players and whatever else. But it does go deeper than that. It really does go deeper than that. So I saw a thread by uh, Carlo Gaganese, who's also part of the Italian football podcast. If you don't follow him, make sure that you do. So he put together a brilliant thread explaining one of the key issues that Italian football is dealing with right now. Italian football has a huge crisis in youth development. And the end result of that is failing to qualify for two straight World Cups. Games played by Serie A teenagers. So games played by Italian teenagers in Serie A this season. Milan, none. Napoli, none. Inter, eight minutes. Juve, one minute. Atalanta, 12 games, three starts. Roma, nine games, no starts. Lazio, no games. Fiorentina, one minute. Sassuolo, two minutes. Verona, four appearances, two starts. Torino, no appearances. Bologna, 24 minutes. Empoli, no minutes. Udinese have one regular. Udogi, 25 appearances, nobody else. Sampdoria, seven minutes. Spezia, no. Cagliari, no. Venezia, no. Genoa, 81 minutes. Salonatana, eight appearances, five starts. So that's basically only one club has an Italian teenager as a regular player. And only two clubs where players have made, Italian teenagers have made more than 10 appearances. Now, if you look at foreign teenagers, Roma's goes up to 25 appearances, Lazio's to 15, Bologna, 27 with Aaron Hickey, and five others. Spezia have 13, eight starts. Cagliari, seven, eight starts, seven, three starts. And Venezia have Buzio, who's made 25 appearances. So there's only three teenagers playing regularly in Serie A right now. One Scott, one American, and one Italian. There's no emphasis being put on bringing young players through at the first team level. He goes on to say we are light years behind England, France, Germany and Spain when it comes to the production of young talent. This is a key reason why we have failed to qualify for two World Cups. The dinosaur mentality of Italian football is that young Italians should, in Max Allegri's word, serve their apprenticeships in Serie C and then a season in Serie B and then move their way up to a lower table Serie A side. This is not the way to develop youngsters, sending to them to low-level football. Imagine Barca sending Pedri and Gavi to play in the third tier, then the Secunda division, and then with a team like Ibar. They wouldn't develop. The youth coaching in Italian football needs revolution. Enough with the, enough with the emphasis on the tactical side and the mental side of the game. That was important 25 to 30 years ago. Now it's about developing technical and attacking players Sorry, technical and attacking talent and players who can score goals. I'm planning to get some youth coaches from outside of Italy on the Italian football pod to help explain what it is that they do to produce and develop young teams. Italy is failing miserably on every level. Excuse me, every level. We need to do what Germany did after Euro 2000, what England did after 2008. Right now, we have a special group of central mids and are struggling badly everywhere else to produce talent. Sadly, there will be no Calcio revolution because the people in power want to hold on to power. They are dinosaurs, 
and they don't even rec- recognize our problems, let alone wish to solve them. We had a chance in 2018, did nothing. Euro 2020 masked the problem. Just don't blame Roberto Mancini for failing when he has 30% of Serie A to choose from. There's just one Italian teenager playing in Serie A, and when he is choosing forwards from Lazio, Cagliari, Sassuolo and provincial teams. Yes, he's made some mistakes. He was too loyal to some of the 2020 group. He also had some rotten luck. But the bigger picture is Calcio, Calcio needs massive change in so many areas. I'm only speaking about youth development here. I could do many threads and other stuff. It's a great thread by Carlo. He's a great follow. If you don't follow him, make sure that you do. Really good guy. And um, his podcast with Nima is outstanding. Uh, that podcast is brilliant. It's Carlo, it's Nima, and it's John Solano. And if you don't know John, he's a big-time Roma fan. Um, absolutely tremendous. He's been on this podcast before. They're absolutely right. Like, I mean, take what Allegri said there. A young player should go to the third division and the second division than a mid-table club. So let's, let's take a couple of examples in the Premier League. Phil Foden. What if... Rather than integrating him into the first team, Pep Guardiola had looked at him and thought, you know what you need? You need a loan move to League One. So we're going to send you down there. And then after that, you're going to go to the championship. And then after that, you're not coming back to us. You're going to go to Brighton. And all of a sudden, Phil Foden is... 20, 21 years of age and hasn't kicked a ball for Manchester City. Rather than where he is now with 157 senior appearances under his belt, right now he'd be playing probably for Brighton. He'd have been kept in the underage teams at City until the 18, 19 or 19, 20 season, sent out on loan, to a League One team, the following season to a championship team, and then to Brighton. So he'd either have this season or last season at Brighton, he wouldn't have been available to City. Would he be available to England? No. Take Bakayo Saka, the same thing. Trent Alexander-Arnold, best right back in the world. What if at 18, rather than putting, putting him in his first team, Jurgen Klopp had sent him off on loan to Sheffield Wednesday and then to Luton the year after and then to Crystal Palace. Would Trent be the same player now? Not even slightly. And the other thing that happens with this is it's not just that a Foden, a Saka or a Trent gets sent out on loan. It's that the clubs then go and buy players to play instead of them. They go and buy a more senior player so that when that young player comes back after his three years out on loan, well, there's somebody in his position. Whereas he could have developed into that role. And yeah, the first year might have been a little bit, you know, of a learning process and, you know, a stop-start campaign. He'd have three years of experience. He'd have 100-plus games under his belt. But instead, these players have no experience playing for top clubs. And regardless of who you are, it's very different playing in the lower leagues or even for a mid-table Premier League club than it is for the elite of English football. Now, look, sometimes loans can work. Mason Mount went on loan a couple of times and it worked for him. Mason Mount went on loan to Vitas Arnhem for a year, but that's a top flight team. Then he went on loan to Derby, but he was back at Chelsea by 20. And that's Chelsea who don't have a great track record of bringing young players into the first team. But you take a look at the England squad right now. Let's look at the youngest players. So Jude Bellingham, he's 
18 years of age, will turn 19 this summer. He has 127 senior games under his belt. What about Declan Rice? 23 years of age. 186. Sorry, 183. He's three games for West Ham under 23s. 183 senior games under his belt. Phil Foden, 21 years of age. Like I said, 157 games for England. Trent, 23 years of age. 214 senior games under his belt. All for Liverpool. No jumping from club to club, not having to park up somewhere for a year, get to know a lot of new people, a lot of new coaches, then go somewhere else, have to get to know a bunch of other people, play in a different system. None of that. Bakayo Saka, 125, 121 senior games for Arsenal. The loan system works for some players. It does not work for everybody. And it should not be the case that when you have an elite level youngster like a Trent, like a Saka, like a Foden, that you have to loan them out. Now, if you've already got an established star in a certain position, then it makes sense. Then it does make sense. So Emil Smith-Rowe comes through at Arsenal and they've got Osul, who's a number 10. So it made sense to loan Emil Smith-Rowe out. But Marcus Rashford came through at United. They didn't have anyone who played his position at any kind of decent level. So he got put on the team. He's played 297 senior games for United already. See, 24. Now, some would argue that he's played a bit too much football, and I think that is fair. But he's had a better career to date than he would have had if he'd been sent on loan a bunch of times. Again, it's different for a club like Chelsea, who loan out all their youngsters, because they just buy as and when they need something. They don't, if a youngster's a year away, they'd rather just go and buy and then push the youngster back to the back of the queue. It doesn't really matter to them. Like, let's take as an example, young Harvey Vale. So Harvey Vale has been very highly regarded at Chelsea since he was 15. And he was seen as being a couple of years away. Last summer, not summer gone, summer before, Harvey Vale was maybe 18 to 24 months away from being able to be a regular in the Chelsea team. Now, he'll turn 19 in September this year. And he was about two years away a year ago. So the expectation would be that next season, Harvey Vale's ready and able to play for Chelsea. An attacking midfielder, creative, can score a goal. But Chelsea don't wait. Chelsea don't look at the situation where they've got a bunch of talented players already. They just go and buy Kai Havertz. Tino Andron's another one. They had him. They could have developed him. No, went and bought Kai Havertz. Only a couple of years older, but more ready-made for now. So Carlo's exactly right. That That's the mindset. The Chelsea mindset is very similar to what they do in Italy. They don't wait for a player. If they have an elite player coming through, they'll just send him in on loan. They don't, they don't care. Like, take a look, for example, at Luca Pellegrini. So Luca Pellegrini came through the academy at Roma and for a long time was touted as this is going to be an outstanding young left-back. Had a loan spell at Cagliari, was still seen as about a year away from the first team at that point the Roma first team, a team with top four ambition. So there's a swap deal done with Leandro Spinozola. Now Spinozola has completely altered his game in recent years, <clears throat> having been very much a football journeyman for a long time. He had a couple of years at Atalanta, which really elevated his career. But even there, he wasn't a regular first team starter. Then he misses basically an entire year with injury. And Juve send him to Roma. 
he goes on to do really well. Juve get this great young left back in, but the word on him is he's about a year away. Now he's 19, 20, but he's about a year away from being physically ready to start every single game. Technically, there's no issues. Physicality is the issue here. So he needs to get a year. But we're three years later and he is at best a squad player at Juventus. He had a couple of seasons on loan and Juve just continued to trundle on, even though the left back they had is Alexandro, who's been garbage for about four years now. They still just sent him out on loan and he hasn't developed properly because he went on bad loans and he went on loan to different clubs with different managers, different philosophies, different styles of play, different teammates. And when you loan, when, when a player, when a player at a young age is involved in a lot of losing, it becomes almost like a habit. That's why I look at Jordan Pickford and don't think he'll ever be much good because he's used to losing. He's used to conceding a lot of goals. But Italy are out. And it is, it's a shame because it would have been great to see them. Uh, there are some bad takes on this, though, and one of the bad takes I wanted to highlight is uh, from Taylor Twelman. Always good for a bad take is Taylor, uh, largely because he's a clown. But he has come out and said, where is this? Where is this? He said, it's unfair that Italy are out having not lost in the group stage. They've only lost twice in two years. It's not right. Teams in South America have lost six times. They're going through. Right. So I could get a map. I could explain to him how geography works. But that seems redundant with an American. The South American World Cup qualifying system is much more difficult than the European. You play 18 games, so far more than you play in Europe. And you have to play everybody from your continent twice. So you can't avoid Brazil, Argentina, Uruguay. You can't avoid the good teams. You can't get a powder puff division like, say, Belgium got with Wales, Czech Republic, Estonia and Belarus. Of course, Belgium are going to get through. Like France got with Ukraine, Finland, Bosnia, Herzegovina and Kazakhstan. Of course, they're getting through. Netherlands got Turkey, Norway, Montenegro, Latvia and Gibraltar. Of course, Netherlands are going through. Of course, Croatia are going through from that group. And most importantly, of course, England are going through from Poland, Albania, Hungary, Andorra and San Marino. You don't get groups like that in South America. You just get everybody. You have to play everybody. It's much more difficult to get through the South American qualify, qualifiers than it is the European ones. Maybe take a look at the African qualifiers as well, because that's like a death march. Taylor Twelman, a clown, big hair, makeup, big pants, clown. Uh, let's move on. The last two days I've obviously done the early look of what teams might need in the summer transfer market. So we're going to finish that today. We've got seven clubs. We're going to get through them nice and quick. We'll start with Newcastle. So I like Dubravka. I don't mind Carol Darlow. I think he's decent. I do like Freddie Woodman. But I do think they need to go and get a starting goalkeeper. I think they've got three decent to good goalkeepers, but I think they're fairly interchangeable. And for me, you should have a standout. So I would suggest that going and getting a standout starting keeper should be the move there. Dubravka, at the point he's at in his career now, I think would be happy enough to stick around as a backup. 
At right back, you've got Trippier, Manquillo, and Emil Kraft. You don't need a right back. At left back, they own one left back, who's Jamal Lewis, and they've got Matt targeted on loan. I believe I will die on the hill that Jamal Lewis is a better player than Matt Target, but Target's done really well. So I assume they keep him. I assume Lewis leaves, and I think they'll buy a backup left back. Um, I, I think they need two starting centre backs. When the centre backs at your club are Shar, fine as a third centre back, Lichelle's fine as a third centre back. Federico Fernandez, probably your fourth centre back. Dan Byrne, third or fourth centre back. And Kieran Clark, championship level player. You need two starting centre backs. So that's the next thing they need to do. In midfield, Jolington is now a midfielder and he's actually very good there. Uh, Shelby's a good squad player. Joe Willock, I like Joe Willock. I'm not sure he's good enough to start for a top four club, but certainly a good squad player and a good starter for Newcastle. So I think he's fine. And Bruno Gamerich is excellent. I also like Isaac Hayden. I would say they need to add maybe one starter quality and one depth player to have a good group of six there. Now, they also obviously own both Longstaff brothers, but Sean, I believe, is at a contract this summer. Matty has had a couple of bad loan spells. Um, it's likely that neither of them are part of the plan long-term. In attack, you've got Chris Wood and Callum Wilson as your nines. So I think you look for a nine. You've got St. Maximum. You've got Willock can play wide. Almiron can play wide. Murphy can play wide. Frazier's wide. I would say by a starting nine and one starting wide player. Now that is... Newcastle having to buy goalkeeper, left back, two centre backs, two in midfield, and two in attack. That's eight players, but they're starting off at a very low point. And it, it's just a matter of looking at what they have and realizing that some of it needs to go. Like Paul Dummett needs to go, and Kieran Clark needs to go. So that opens up spots for a couple of defenders. Lewis will leave, so you need one to come in there. It wouldn't surprise me if, if Freddie Woodman went on loan again next season. So you need a third keeper. Darlow probably doesn't stick around as third choice, but Mark Gillespie will. So that's fine. You could sell Darlow, buy a first choice. First choice keeper, Dubravka and Gillespie, and you're okay. Um, but yeah, eight players for the tune, unfortunately. Moving on, Norwich City. Now, I quite like Angus Gunn. I think he's a good goalkeeper. I do like Tim Krul as well. So I think goalkeeper, they're fine. You're happy enough with those two. Uh, Max Ahrens is excellent. He'll probably be gone, but we're going to work on the assumption that he stays. So Max Ahrens and Sam Byram at right back. I'm okay with that. Left back, Giannolis looks uncomfortable in the Premier League. He's not particularly good defensively. They've had Brandon Williams in. I really like Brandon Williams. I think he's a very good player. And I think you could probably keep him on loan next season as well. United have two left backs ahead of him. Now, he is right-footed and more naturally maybe a right back, but I think he's better on the left side. And United will most likely buy a right back anyway. They've already got Juan Bissaka and Deleuze. So Norwich might be able to keep him. And I think that's fine. I think if they're your four fullbacks, you're all right. I'd probably look to move Giannolis out and bring in someone else, but it is what it is. They do have um, young Sam McCallum out on loan at QPR, who I quite like. So you could sell Giannolis and bring him back in, or you could look to bring Jamal Lewis back from Newcastle. I'm sure he'd return fairly quick. Uh, Centre-back. My thoughts on Grant Hanley remain unchanged. He's not a Premier League calibre player. Uh, I, I think Ben Gibson is fine as your third centre-back, Zimmerman as your fourth, and Hanley as your fifth break glass. It's one, You're one nil up with three minutes left. Get someone on who'll head, head it and kick it. That's fine. They need two starting centre-backs. They've got Kabak in on loan. He's not going to be kept. Um, I would keep him, 
personally. Um, but I don't think they will. They've also got Oma Bamadali. Now, he can be anything you really want him to be. He can play all across the back line, right back, left back, or centre back. I'd be looking to make him a centre back. Now, if you don't keep Quebec, which I don't think they will, you're looking to buy someone to play alongside him. Uh, in midfield, I really like Matthias Norman, and I'm hopeful that they'll get to keep him. But he's the he's the one definite starter I've got there for them. Sorensen, Lees Malou, McLean. I think these are good squad players. They won't keep Billy Gilmore. Uh, Lucas Rupp's more of a squad player. So I think you need to keep Matthias Norman and buy one more in midfield. Um, I have to say, I, I genuinely, genuinely really like Josh Sargent wide right. So I'd keep him there. You've got Rashika left wing. That's perfect. Solis, the young Greek. That's ideal. So you keep him as well. So he can back up both flanks. Adam Day as the 10 or this kind of second nine just off the striker. Ideal. Pookie's a decent player, but for me, he's on a starter quality in the Premier League. So I'd be looking to bring in one in attack. One depth attacking midfielder who can play on the right or through the middle starting midfielder plus keep Norman and a starting centre back that's five yeah five I, I like a lot of the players at Norwich and I think there's more to be had from them than what we've seen uh, Southampton they need a starting goalkeeper McCarthy and McCarthy's a good third choice keeper Forster's a good second-choice keeper. They need a starter. At right-back, they've got Livermento and Walker-Peters, so you're set there. At left-back, they have Perot, and they also brought in the small kid, Thierry Small, from Everton. So that's fine. You're set at full-back. No issues there at all. You've also got Jan Valery that can play both sides, so you're good at full-back. At centre-back, I, I like Bednarak. I really like Sadisu. And, and Leanku's okay. So that's three. I think Jack Stevens is your fifth centre-back at the Premier League level. I think he's more of a championship player. So you're looking to bring in one good backup centre-back. So you've got goalkeeper and centre-back. In midfield... They've only got three players, really. Now, Will Smallbone's a decent, talented player, but he's, I think, a year or two away from being Premier League ready. But you've got Diallo as backup to Ward, Prowse and Romeo. You need one more in midfield for depth and for rotation. I'd be moving on the likes of Long and Redmond and Walcott. I don't think they serve any purpose. But in the, the two behind the strikers, you've got Gineppo, You've got Tella, you've got Alianasi, you've got Stuart Armstrong. You could maybe look to add one more in that group. Not a necessity, but you could maybe look to do it. Up front then, I don't know if they'll get to keep Bro here. They'll certainly try. If they do, they've got him, they've got Armstrong, they've got Che Adams. I'd look to bring in one more for depth, maybe a more of a poacher type. Um, someone that's like Adam's a bit of a bit of a nine and a half. Kind of he used to be he was a came through as a 10 or an attacking midfielder at Sheffield United, got converted into a striker at Birmingham, but still always plays kind of off the striker. You know, when him and Ings played together, he was that second striker. Armstrong's that sort of bustly player, drops it into the wide areas, can link play, do different things. Probably more naturally suited to playing left side of a three. And then Broly is that sort of big traditional number nine. So I'd look to bring in one more kind of poacher type, uh, Eddie and Ketia type, you know, Rian Brewster type, someone like that. So one there, one in the line behind, not necessity, but would be a nice boost to get definitely the midfielder definitely need a center back i need a starting goalkeeper so five five players for for southampton to fill holes in the squad 
not to make them title winners or anything like that. Now, there is a chance that they already have that centre-back in Sanu, the young kid they got from Chelsea. He's on loan at Carlisle at the minute. There is a chance he's good enough to be your fourth centre-back. And if he is, great. But you still need goalkeeper, centre midfielder, and then one in each of the two attacking lines. Let's look at Tottenham. This should be fun. Hugo Lloris, they need a, they need another goalkeeper because Galini, I don't think, will stay. Um, and Brandon Alston is only a third-choice keeper at this point. So you need another goalkeeper. Someone that can be a backup to Lloris next season and then potentially replace him the following season. You've got Matt Doherty and Emerson Royale as your right wing backs. I would be looking to sell Doherty and bring in someone like Max Ahrens, not necessarily him, but someone of, of that sort of profile uh, to play there. Left wing back is sorted. You've got Regulon, you've got Sessegnon, you're fine. Centre backs, you've got Romero. You need two starters to go with him. You're fine for depth. You've got Davinson, you've got Roden, you've got Dyer, you've got Davies. You're fine for, and you've got Tanganga. You're fine for depth. You could sell Davinson to get some money in. You could maybe sell Joe Roden and get some money in. And then Tanganga, Dyer, and Davies can be your depth three behind Romero and two starters. I like Heusberg more than most, so I'd be fine going into next season with him and Benton Kerr as a starting pair, and then Ollie Skip and Harry Winks as the, the depth behind them. As long as I don't see too much of Heusberg and Winks as a pair, I'd be all right. Uh, they might look to bring in one more in midfield. We'll wait and see. They've got Pape Matar Sar, who's on loan at Mets, to bring into the equation. So they might not buy one. They might just bring him in and have him as part of the group. And then up front, you've got Kulisewski, you've got Kane, you've got Son, you've got Lucas Mora, you've got um, the Dutch kid Bergwijn. You need a, a backup nine is what you need. And, and you've needed one for a while. You also own Brian Hill. Hasn't really worked, but very talented. If if Bergvine leaves, Brian Hill should be part of the squad. Um, Jack Clark hasn't worked at all. You'll probably sell the cell, so probably sell Endon Belly. So what I would say is goalkeeper, two starting centre back, starting right wing back, and one in attack, five players. Five players, but four of them are, are needed as starters. Actually, no, sorry. Three of them are needed as immediate starters, two as depth, but one of them has to have the potential to become a long-term long starter. Um, it's a lot, but they're going to have to back Antonio Conte. You, you can't get Antonio Conte and not back him. And there are players there that can be sold to raise some funds. You could sell Matt Doherty. You could sell Davinson Sanchez. You could sell Harry Winks. You'd get decent money for him, uh, and you could look to you know bring uh, Sar into the back into the group, and th that's your four with Sar and Skip um, as the replacements behind Heusberg and Bentoncourt. That could be your group, absolutely. Um, you can sell Joe Roden. You could sell Bergvine. So, you know, you can sell the cell, so sell Adam Ballet, sell Carter Vickers, sell Jack Clark. There's enough players there to be sold where you can revamp the squad and not have a massive net spend. Um, but five players needed. Watford. <sighs> Starting goalkeeper absolutely needed. Ben Foster's a fine backup. And Daniel Bachman would be grand as a third-choice keeper, but that's all they are. Um, right back, you've got... You've got Kiko Femenia and you've got Jeremy Ngakia. I don't really like Femenia. I do like Ngakia, but I prefer him as a backup. Uh, so I'd be looking starting right back. I think left back, you're probably okay. 
you've got Adam Messina, who is good. And you've got Hassan Kamara, who is good. So you're fine at left back. Your centre-backs are an absolute disgrace. And if you're going to play a back two, you need two starting centre-backs. If you want to play a back three, you need three. Now we're going to pretend that Uncle Roy stays in charge. So he'll need two starting centre-backs. Ah, no, to be fair, Samir is decent. So maybe you only need one. One back, one starting centre-back to partner Samir. But Samir is better in a three. I, I, I'd buy two starters. I'd have Samir and Nkulu as my backups. I'd sell Truce to Kong, Cabasay, and Cathcart as quickly as I could, and i keep Seralta as well. So, two, yeah, two starting centre-backs. Just It needs two. Uh, in midfield, I like some of these midfielders, I have to say. I do like Imran Lusa. I think he's a quality player. I don't like Dan Gosling. I like Peter Thiebaud. He's in on loan. I'd look to keep him. I'd let Tom Cleverley go. I'd let Moose... i keep Moose Sissoko as a squad player, not as a starter, and certainly not as my captain. Uh, and I like Kayembe. Not a big fan of Kukcha, so he might go. Um, I'd probably look to add Wood in midfield. Wood in midfield, I think you'd be okay. Up front, you don't need to do anything. Up front, you're set. You've got Sar, You've got Kalu. That's your right wing sorted. You've got Emmanuel Dennis and Chucho Hernandez. It's your left wing start, sorted. And then you've got Joe Pedro and you've got Josh King. So your nines are sorted. You've also got Quad Woba. We'll see what he becomes. You've got a bunch of players out on loan. You know what? They could use Zinkernagel as a midfielder. They could use Dom- uh, Dominguez Quina as a midfielder. So they don't actually need to buy in midfield or attack. They just need to buy defenders. And lots of them. Two centre-backs and a goalkeeper, and that probably sorts them. If they bring back some of the players they've got on loan. Like, there's others that they've got on loan. Like, Penaranda's really talented. He's on loan at Los Palmas. Really talented player. Pasetta on loan at, at um, Udinese. Really talented player. Yeah, two centre-backs and a goalkeeper. And they'd actually have a good team. Oh, and a right-back. I'd buy a starting right-back as well. So, four starters. And it, it genuinely would be probably a solid mid-table team. Uh, West Ham United. I really like Ariola. I would be keeping him. He'd be my starter. Fabianski, the backup. Backup, Darren Randolph, the third choice keeper. And I think that's really good. Um, right back is a good situation. They went from having a dreadful right back situation two years ago to now having a really good right back situation. Uh, Sufeld's really good, and I like Ben Johnson. I, I think he's really impressive. I'd let Ryan Fredericks go. Um, Cresswell's a good backup left back, shouldn't be your starter. Masawaka, I think it's time to say goodbye to him. So you buy a starting left back. You've got Zuma. I'd like to see Zuma and Diop play together. David Moyes would not. So Diop is just the backup for Zuma, and that's okay. But your other centre backs, uh, Craig Dawson, he's just past his best. He's past his best. His best was never all that great. You've got to upgrade on Craig Dawson. I know that they will point and say, but we've got Ogbonna. He's 35. He's going to be coming back off an ACL tear. He's your fourth centre-back and Dawson's your fifth. You need to buy a starting centre-back. Um, if Alex Kral's not going to be kept, they need two depth midfielders because obviously Mark Noble's going to retire this summer. He can't play anymore anyway. But you need depth behind Suchek and Rice. You just need depth there. Um the three behind the striker, they're set. They've got Bowen, they've got Yarmolenko. They've got Fornals, Ben Rama, and Lanzini, and Vlasic. So four 
sorry, six for, for three positions that you set there. Up front, they could do with depth behind um, Mikel Antonio or potentially a long-term replacement for Antonio. So I would say they need two starters, three if you include keeping Ariola, but I believe they've got an option to extend that loan for another year. So loan him for another year, buy a starting centre-back to partner Zuma, buy a starting left-back, Depth in midfield. Connor Coventry might be ready to play next season. And if he is, maybe you could get Alex Crowell back on loan and just, just roll back that again and hopefully play him a bit more next season. That might be an idea, you know, to play the guy you're, you're paying money. Um, but otherwise, they need to buy one in midfield. And then, yeah, a striker. So it's five. Six if we include um, Ariola, five if we don't, four if Connor Coventry is ready to contribute. Four wouldn't be bad. Four wouldn't be bad. They don't have a lot to sell that they can spare, is the problem. There's not a lot of value among the players that aren't going to be part of the group. Wolves. Jose Saha has grown on me. I still wouldn't trust him in my life, but he's grown on me, so that's fine. John Ruddy is fine. Sarkic is fine. Goalkeeper set. Right back. Nelson Semedo is a good right, right wing back. Keanu Hoiver has obviously upset the manager, but he's still a very talented player, and I think he will get back in the good books. So that's fine. Left wing back, you've got eight Nuri, and you've got... Johnny, they also still own Ruben Venegra, who's really good. Now, what I might be inclined to do is move Hoiver to right side centre back as the backup to Max Kilman. Play Johnny Otto as the backup right wing back behind um, Nelson Semedo and have Venegra and Aitnuri for the left wing back. I think that's really strong. They're hopeful Yerson Mascara will be ready to start next season. And if he is, then he's probably the left side centre-back with Romain Sice as the backup. I'd be looking for a starting centre-back to push Connor Cody to the bench, personally. Um, in midfield, you've got Ruben Neves. Then Donker hasn't developed the way they hoped he would, but still a good squad player. I think it's time for Matinho to become more of a squad player. So you need to buy one in midfield to partner Ruben Neves. You do own Bruno Jordao. You do own Morgan Gibbs-White. You can have them back in and around the squad, but I think you need to buy a starter to go next to, um, to Neves. I would be keeping Trinkio. I think you get Trinkio, Pedro Neto, Chiquinho and Pedence as the wide players in the 4-3-4. Potentially, you look to bring in a number nine. Now, it might mean you either have to sell Raul Jimenez, preferably make him the backup, and loan out... What's the kid's name? Fabio Silva. Lone Fabio Silva. Now, look, Bruno Lage would rather play 4-2-3-1. So he would rather go Nelson Semedo, Max Kilman, Mosquera, and Aitnuri back four, and then Neves plus one in front of them. That would be better. That would be better. Then you can go Trinkeo right wing, Neto left wing, Pedence as your 10, and then a striker. I think he'd prefer to do that. Then you get Gibbs White as the backup 10. You get um, Juan He Chan can be a backup in the wide areas, as can uh, Chiquinho. That might be better for them. That might be better for them to go 4 2 3 1 next season. Now, Hoiver is not a centre-back in a back two, but maybe you just sell him. Maybe you just say, right, enough's enough, and you just sell him and move on. 
Marcal will move on. Jimenez, I know it's tough, but just he's not getting enough goals. He's been sent off twice. That concerns me. I would love to go striker. You're playing 4-2-3-1. Striker and central midfielder. And keep Trinkia. If you're playing 3-4-3, central defender, central midfielder, and striker. So you need three in that system, two in the other, plus maybe a bit of depth. Maybe a little bit more depth if you play the 4-2-3-1, which I think is what Bruno Lage would rather do. But if he does that, then he gets either, say, he keeps Jimenez with Wang can be the backup 10 maybe and actually Gibbs White can go wide or whatever way you want to make it work. You've got the players to do it. Um, but I, I think there's going to be a focus next year on revamping that defence. I don't think he can carry on much longer with the way it is. Now, it's done well defence this year, but individually there's too many errors to be made. Uh, right, we'll leave that there. We'll take a quick break. And when we come back, we have a little bit of news, a little bit of gossip, and then we'll be done. See you in a sec. Right, welcome back. You know, there's very few things sadder to see than a journalist who's been fed a tall tale, reported the tall tale, gone really in-depth on said tall tale, then doubled down on the tall tale, refusing to accept that they were fed a bunch of lies. So, Chelsea FC, obviously there was a lot of bids put in. And... um, not among them was the bid from the Saudi media group. No bid to be seen. But yet the journalist who reported on it, well, he's doubled down on it and said they did bid, but they didn't. No, he says they did. No, but they didn't. And everywhere else has reported that they didn't, that their interest was fleeting. But you went all in on it, son, and now you have to stick by it. So you're continuing to push that angle. You've also created an elaborate bid by someone from Jordan or somewhere or Kuwait, maybe. And you've made that up as well. That's why you work where you work. Um, There is now a shortlist. And on that shortlist, this is the six bidders. Martin Broughton and, and his consortium. Uh, Todd Bowley and his consortium. Uh, Nick Candy, he he didn't make the shortlist. Uh, largely because his bid wasn't real because he doesn't have that kind of money. Uh, the Ricketts family, they are on the shortlist. So it looks like we've got four in the group. The Saudi media group came out and said they had not made the shortlist. And they used the same journalist to push this toll town. Didn't make the shortlist because you didn't make a bid. Simple as that. You, you didn't make a bid. The people who made bids, they're on the shortlist. Nick Candy couldn't provide proof of funds, so he's gone. So Martin Broughton's group is a consortium. And a couple of Chelsea minority shareholders, sorry, Crystal Palace minority shareholders, Josh Harris and David Blitzer are involved. They co-own the Philadelphia 76ers. And they would sell, obviously, their shares in Palace if they have the winning bid for Chelsea. Uh, Todd Bowley's consortium includes Hans-Jörg Viss, uh, Barbara Sharone, Jonathan Goldstein, and David Finkelstein. Now, what's notable about Barbara Sharone and David Finkelstein is they both work in the media. One's a PR executive, 
as a journalist. So if you're wondering why you're hearing so much about them, it's because they've got a PR company on board. The Ricketts family, they obviously own the Chicago Cubs. Uh, Most of the complaints about them are obviously about some comments that were made, and obviously those comments are way out of line. Uh, But those comments are quite strange and the idea that Chelsea fans are against it. We had a statement today from the Chelsea supporters trust saying Chelsea wants to build an exclusive club, an inclusive club, an inclusive club for people. This is the same club whose fans racially abused Raheem Sterling, racially abused a man on the French subway, chanted we're racist and we don't care, broke up um, a Turkish man's, restaurant um, have been caught up in multiple uh, incidents of racism and homophobia over the years, supported John Terry after he was um, accused and and found to have been racist to Anton Ferdinand. And of course, there is the ongoing stuff over the racism at Chelsea in the 2000s. So uh, the idea of Chelsea being an inclusive club is, with no offence meant to many good Chelsea fans, it's a little bit strange. It's a little bit strange as well that you're so outlandishly outraged about the Ricketts family having connections to Donald Trump, but have never had a problem with Roman having close ties, much closer ties to Putin than the Ricketts family have to Trump. That's weird to me because as bad as Trump is, and he's one of the worst people that have ever been put on this earth, Putin is worse than him. Roman might be worse than him. So, you know, it seems like much of the real reason they're complaining is because they know they won't pump loads of money in. Well, let me just tell you now, neither will Martin Broughton's group, neither will the consortium led by Todd Bowley and Hans-Jörg Viss. None of them will. And you can get all excited about the fact that Clear Lake Capital are involved. They're an investment company. They don't have 60 billion in cash behind them. They have 60 billion in assets that they manage. So wouldn't get too excited. None of these bids, none of these bids represent Chelsea staying where they have been. They represent Chelsea going back to something more similar to what they were before Rome. Um, Bruno Fernandes is close to agreeing a new contract at Manchester United. He already has three years left in this current deal, but United are keen to tie him down. You'd imagine that would include quite the substantial pay rise for Mr. Fernandes, who has been largely outstanding since joining the club. We'll wrap up with the gossip. Barcelona have joined Liverpool, Manchester City and Bayern Munich in the race to sign Rafinha, valued at 600 million by his club. Barcelona have joined Real Madrid in the race to sign Kylian Mbappe. Right. Barcelona are also interested in signing Robert Lewandowski. Right. Liverpool striker Divock Origi is in talks with both Inter Milan and AC Milan over a potential move in the summer. Inter Milan could make sense from him as a depth player. Manchester City are among a number of number of clubs targeting Crystal Palace left-back Tyreek Mitchell. No, they're just not. Tyreek Mitchell is not a City type of fullback. Tyreek Mitchell has been linked to City because he's just been called up the England squad. Paris Saint-Germain, Real Madrid, Barcelona and Chelsea are monitoring Riyad Mahrez. What? No. Roma would sell English striker. Roma would not sell English striker Tammy Abraham for less than 100 million this summer. It's just so silly. Uh, Declan Rice would prefer a move to Chelsea over Manchester United. That's understandable. One's a, a relatively well run club with a great manager and, and good players, and the other's a collection of individuals overseen by buffoons. Um, Chelsea defender Marcus Alonso says he would love to play in La Liga again. The Spaniard made just one league appearance for Real Madrid 
after coming through the youth season. I'm sure there's a lot of mid-table Spanish clubs that love to have him. Chelsea captain Cesar Aspilicueta is torn uh, between signing a one-year deal with the Blues or accepting a one-year deal from Barcelona. The Barcelona offer he has is two years, so, you know, this is garbage. Uh, Antonio Rudiger could be the third Chelsea defender to leave the club as he's had a contract in the summer. His demands are ridiculous. Arsenal, Manchester United and Newcastle are all interested in Moussa Diaby. Um, Doesn't make any sense for Arsenal unless they plan to move Martinelli central, which could be the case, but I think that would be a waste of them. Uh, United... Yeah, I mean, I could see it. If it's with Greenwood out of the picture, yeah, fine. And Newcastle obviously could do it anybody to improve them. Blackburn and Chile striker Ben Brayton Diaz is attracting interest from Sevilla to fill the La Liga side's number nine role. They already have a better striker than him and then Naziri, but maybe N Naziri is planning to leave. West Ham could make another move for Darwin Nunes after having a club record £50 million bid rejected in January. He rejected the move, not the club. Um, Leeds are interested in signing Ryan Kent. Why? Arsenal and Tottenham will need to pay 20 million to sign Jed Spence. No, they won't. 15 million gets Jed Spence done. Benfica and Sporting are considering a move for Francisco Trinkiao. Should he not join Wolves permanently for 25 million? I, I have doubts either of them will spend 25 million, to be honest. But maybe they'd look for him on loan. Uh, Barcelona midfielder Gavi and central defender Ronald Arreo have rejected new contract offers from the club. This seems to be that they've rejected a couple of contract offers from the club. So it's a very concerning situation for Barcelona with both players because they're both exceptional and Barca could do with keeping all the exceptional players they can get their hands on. But that will do me for today, folks. Thank you, as always, for listening. I will see you on Monday. Enjoy your weekend. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.